I want you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1. As you know, we're in a series entitled Straight Thinking in a Crooked World. Last Sunday, we looked at the opening line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those 10 words are pregnant with meaning. Tell me this, how can one who doesn't believe this verse believe that Jesus is the Son of God? How can one who doesn't believe this verse believe that Jesus was incarnated into the human race? He was fully God, fully man. How can one who does not believe this verse Believe that Jesus offered his body and blood on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. How can one who does not believe this verse believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead on the third day? How can one who does not believe this verse believe that one day Jesus is coming again? How can one who does not believe this verse know for sure that they'll go to heaven when they die? Jesus said this to the Pharisees and the scribes who were opposing him so violently. He said, if you don't believe Moses, how can you believe my words? The same holds true today. You see, it was Moses writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who recorded the book of Genesis for us. And we're looking at these words right here in the beginning of the Bible. Now, one of the unfortunate results of the predominance of evolutionary thought in our education system and in our culture is that it has hindered Christians from reading and studying Genesis, Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, well, really Genesis one through 11 from the viewpoint that the Holy Spirit intended when he inspired Moses to record it. I want you to, to think straight about creation. Now today I've entitled the message, In the Beginning. In the beginning, we're, we're going to look at verses 2 through verse 25. Now I'm going to talk fast and you're going to have to listen fast. But I assure you there are some rich, rich truths that we're going to look at today that have an incredible amount of importance in all of our lives. Now think with me about this. If there's a beginning, and there is, then there's a what? There's an ending, right? And we read about the beginning right here in Genesis 1 and 2. And if you want to read about the ending, go to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. I, I tell you, it is a beautiful story of redemption from the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation. Now I want us to look first today at, at day one of creation. Look in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now the Bible says on the first day of creation, the earth was formless and void. That means it was unfinished and it was unpopulated. 
It, it also says that darkness was over the surface of the deep. At, at this point in the creation story, the earth was covered in water and shrouded in darkness. What we have pictured for us, it, it's like a, a beautiful, clean canvas that God is going to create a masterpiece out of. I love that last phrase. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Some, some of the versions say hovering over the surface of the waters. See, that tells us something very important. God was directly involved in every aspect of creation. Before creation, nothing existed except God. God is eternal in nature. He has always existed. And the Bible says that on the first day of creation, according to Genesis 1-1, he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. Now look at verse 3 and 4. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Some have wondered, well, how in the world could there be light if the sun and the moon and the stars were not created until day four? We're, we're on day one of creation, yet there is light. Now, why would we in any way doubt the ability of God to do anything? Let, let me just give you this thought. Where did this light come from? I believe it was the Shekinah glory of God himself. Well, you go over to the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22. And the Bible says that in the new Jerusalem at the ending of time, in the new Jerusalem, there is no sun, there is no moon, there, there are no stars. The Bible says that God is the light of the new Jerusalem. And the Bible says here that God created light. He spoke it into existence and it came into existence. The Bible says in verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning one day. Even before the sun and the moon, God said, look, there's going to be light and there's going to be darkness. And there was evening and morning the first day. Now there's some details here that we're going to notice as we go through chapter 1 that give us some very good clues about creation. Notice the word day. In the Hebrew language, it's the, the name yom, Y-O-M. This word is used over 1,900 times. And only 65 of those times is it used as a period of time as opposed to a 24-hour day. Every time a numerical adjective is used with the word day, it refers to a 24-hour time frame. Notice, notice verse 5 again. And there was evening and there was morning. And here's that, here's that numerical adjective, one day, that one day. Every time that numerical adjective appears in connection with the day, it refers to a 24-hour time frame, not a long period of time, not a, an age as some believe. There's not one single instance 
when the terms evening and morning are used to refer to an extended period of time. It's always, they always refer to a 24-hour day. And the pattern of the Jewish week was built on the basis of creation. Take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 20. I want you to look at verse 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Now, I remind you that Moses wrote uh, Exodus also. And in verse 11 of chapter 20, the Bible says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God was setting up a a pattern for the Jewish people and for the people whom he would create and would fill the earth. Now let's look at day two of creation. Number two, day two of creation. Look at verses six through eight. Then God said, now notice this, every time God said something, it happened. Have you noticed that? He said it, it happened. It happened instantaneously just like that. It didn't happen over a period of time. God said it, it happened, boom, it was there. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now notice in verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning. Here's that, here's that numerical adjective again, a second day. Now, the word expanse means to stretch out. Here it refers to our atmosphere. On day two, God suspended a vast body of water, water vapor, over the earth and separated it from the water that covered the earth at that time. The conditions on the earth resemble that of a greenhouse. It was an ideal environment for life. God called the expanse heaven. The Bible talks about three kinds of heavens. The Bible says that there is God's heaven where the dead in Christ go when they die. And there is the stellar heaven where the stars are located and the comets and all that stuff. And then there is the atmospheric heaven. And that's where, that's what we're talking about here in day two of creation. Now let's look at day three of creation. There are two distinct acts of creation on the third day. And both of them are called good. Have you noticed that every time God creates something, he says it's good. It's good. It was perfect. Do you realize that God created a perfect world? He created a perfect ecology. Everything was absolute perfection. Now, why, why would the Bible say that it was good? Because God is good. He's good all the time. I like that. You got that. Amen. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Amen? And the Bible says in verse 9 and 10, Then God said, Let the waters below the, below the heavens 
be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? It was good. Now on this day, God prepares the dry land and the seas. Now the Hebrew word for seas here is a general term and it refers to all surface water. It refers to rivers and lakes and oceans. In Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 22, the Bible says, this is God speaking, do you not fear me? He's speaking to the Jewish people. Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. I tell you, my friend, God is sovereign over creation. We do not have to worry about global warming inundating our planet with water. We don't have to worry about that because God has placed a boundary for the oceans. The Bible says it. I believe it. Do you believe it? I tell you, I'm not going to get my cues from this world. I'm going to get my cues from the word of the living God. We believe that the Bible is our final source for faith and practice. And we've got to hold on to that belief until we do not have a breath in our bodies. Amen. So God divided the land from the water in preparation for what? For what he's going to do on day six of creation. You say, what's he going to do on day six of creation, pastor? He's going to create Adam and Eve. He's preparing all of this for Adam and Eve. Now look at verses 11 through 13. Then God said, so he's created dry land. He's, He's depressed the earth for the seas and all that. He has raised up mountains. And now the Bible says in verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, And fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. And they brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning. Here it is again. A third day. A a numerical adjective attached to the word day, meaning it's a 24-hour day. So God spoke vegetation into being, out of nothing. Now this refers to various grasses and herbs. and In addition, God created seed-bearing plants and, and fruit trees so that mankind would have good, healthy food to eat when he created them. Now let me tell you this. Here's what I want you to understand. God did not create vegetation God did not create seed-bearing plants and fruit trees as small, tiny little saplings. He created them with full maturity. I tell you, when God spoke it into existence, I want you to know that apple trees had apples on them. Peach trees had peaches on them. Peas had pea pods on them. Butter beans had butter beans on them. I tell you, it's a, it was a wonderful time. God spoke it all into existence out of nothing. Poof, it was there because God said so. Let me tell you, when God says something, 
You can go to town on it. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. That's true not only in creation, but it's true in every aspect of our lives. Now, there are three words that we notice in verses 11 to 13 that we've not seen before in Genesis chapter 1. And these three words are supremely important. I want you to notice them. It's after their kind. Notice the Bible says in verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so in verse 12, after their kind. Listen, folks, that is so important. You say, what makes it important? Well, that little phrase is used 10 times in the first chapter of Genesis. 10 times. Now, when God repeats something, it means it is very, very important. And do you know what makes it important? The theory of evolution is destroyed by these three words. After their kind. You, you see, the theory of, of evolution hinges on the idea that one species, one kind, can become another kind. In other words, uh, a donkey can become a, a, a mosquito, okay? Seriously. It, it, they believe in macroevolution, where one kind can become another kind. Well, the Bible says right here, after their kind, 10 different times. Now, I think God's trying to drive something home to us. You know what God's saying to us? He's saying there's no such thing as evolution. None. Now, there is microevolution where a dog might develop, if he's living in a, a colder climate, might develop more hair, but that's microevolution. A dog doesn't become a cat. And a cat does not become uh, a mouse. It doesn't happen. After their kind, it's such an important part of Genesis chapter 1 as we look at the creation in the beginning. Now let's look at day 4 of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 19, the Bible says, Then God said... Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. You know what's amazing? The Bible uses how many words? He made the stars also. That's five words, right? He made the stars also. God spoke the stars into existence. And the Bible only gave five words to it. And all of a sudden, when God spoke the stars into existence, you've got the Andromeda galaxy, you've got the Milky Way galaxy, you've got all the comets, you've got all the, the meteors, you've got all the beauties of the heavens that suddenly come into existence out of nothing. Just like that. Five words. But you know what the Bible 
says about the tabernacle? The Bible devotes 50 chapters to the tabernacle. You know why? Because the tabernacle is all about redemption. It's all about God redeeming people from their sins. We sang about it this morning. 50 chapters versus five words. Let me tell you, this book is a book of redemption. It is a book that describes how the creator God reached down into the heart of sinful man and made a way for sinful man to be forgiven and to be saved to the glory of God. My goodness. He made the stars also. Verse 17, God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. For the first three days of creation, there had been both light and darkness, a pattern that the creator God set in motion without the sun and the moon and the stars. But this occurred, listen, this occurred on the fourth day of creation. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, there's a very important verse here for us. The Bible says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that, it, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Boy, what a verse that is. By faith. We understand and we believe that God spoke everything into existence and he made it out of nothing. Now the purpose of the lights that filled the heavens was threefold. It was divide the light, the, the night from the day and for signs, the Bible said. I saw that. What does it mean that God put the sun, the moon, the stars in the heavens for signs? Well, take your Bible Look at Matthew chapter 2. I'm trying to watch my clock here. Matthew chapter 2. I want you to notice this. Verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem and said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his what? His star in the east and have come to worship him. Now take your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 24. At the birth of Jesus, the stars were so important to announce the birth of the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the what? The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Let me tell you, God, from the very beginning, put the stars and the moon and the sun in their exact places because he knew that one day they would announce the coming of the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And another day they would announce the return of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God knew exactly what he was doing. God spoke it into existence. Years ago, Sir Isaac Newton built an exact replica of our solar system made in miniature. The planets were all geared together by cogs and belts 
to make them move around the sun in perfect harmony. One day, Newton's friend came in, and he did not believe in creation. And he said, Newton, my friend, who made that? And Newton said, nobody. He said, what do you mean nobody made it? And then Newton replied to him, that's right. I said, nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together. And wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set orbits and with perfect timing. Now, that's exactly what the evolutionist wants our young people to believe. That's what the evolutionist wants our, 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 our young adults to believe. And what the evolutionist wants even senior adults to believe, that everything came about by chance. There's not a chance it came about by chance. I just want you to know that. Let me tell you, friend, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. To God be the glory. Amen? Day five of creation. Number five, day five, verses 20 to 23. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind. There it is again, after their kind. And every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. This is the first time the Bible mentions in creation that God blessed a part of his creation. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. God in his infinite goodness and mercy fills the sky and the waters with living creatures. This included all kinds of fish, all kind of mammals, and microscopic life. This is the first time that God blessed a part of his creation, as I said earlier. His blessing enabled the creatures to reproduce and to enjoy what God had made for them. Can't you see the whales just enjoying swimming around in the beautiful, pristine ocean of that first creation moment. Can't you imagine, can't you imagine the eagles flying in the pristine atmosphere of creation, enjoying every moment of creation? Every aspect of creation was in perfect ecological balance, and God saw that it was good. Day six of creation. Verses 24 to 25, and we're going to stop with verse 25 today. Next week, now you got to come next week, okay? you got to promise me that you're coming next week because next week we're going to deal with the creation of Adam and Eve, the first humans, and it has so many important implications for us in this day and time. So verse 24 and 25. Then God said, we see that repeated over and over, don't we? Then God said, the very, listen, the very words of God created all this stuff out of nothing. Out of nothing. 
How can we not bow our knees before such a great and mighty creator God and worship him every single moment that he allows us a breath to breathe? Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. There it is again, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. There it is again, it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. You know what God's saying to us? He's saying to us, don't believe evolution. You have to ask yourself this question. Are you going to believe Darwin and Dawkins? Or are you going to believe the living God and his word? I'll tell you where I've landed. I may be looked on as the biggest fool in the world. But I'm telling you, my friend, I'm going to believe God. And I'm going to believe his word from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm going to build my whole life and my whole ministry on this word. I hope and pray you will too. I hope and pray... I hope and pray that every dad and every mom and every grandmother and every grandfather will make sure that their kids and their grandkids are grounded in this truth. The Bible says it, and that settles it for me. And God saw that it was good. So our study of this chapter reveals that God filled interstellar space with the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the planets, and the comets. Next, God filled the sky with birds. Then he filled the waters with what seems to be an endless variety of fish and mammals. Finally, God filled the earth with cattle, creeping things, beasts of all kinds. Now, what does he mean by cattle? The word cattle refers to larger land animals that man would domesticate, like horses and cows and sheep and donkeys, stuff like that, and creeping things. This refers to smaller things like insects and worms and stuff like that. God created all of that. And then beast refers to bears, lions, elephants, dinosaurs, all of the big great beasts of the earth, hippopotamuses. God created them. He spoke them into existence. Can can you just imagine for a moment the creativity of God to be able to create a, a mighty hippopotamus and a tiny little worm. He makes them so different. And every one of them, every part of his creation is special. I love what John Phillips had to say in his commentary on Genesis He said, I quote, the same God who with fantastic lavishness and abundance tossed out into intangible space countless stars and their satellites, who keeps them whirling and plunging on their journeys through space at inconceivable velocities, yet with such mathematic precision that we can tell the occasion of an eclipse or the visit of a comet years in advance. The same God who did that with equal lavishness and abundance selected a single planet and filled it with a bewildering number of forms of life. If Genesis 1 were a psalm, 
it would have doubtless concluded with a resounding selah. You know what that means in the book of Psalms? Stop. Think about this. One thought comes to my mind. One thought. So I studied passage this week. To God be the glory. That's the thought that inundated my mind. It flooded my soul. To God be the glory. I tell you, we've got to think straight about the beginning. Because if we don't think straight about the beginning, we won't think straight about the ending. It's very important. We live in a crooked world. We live in a fallen world. And if we're going to think straight about the beginning, we're going to think straight about the ending. We've got to base our thinking on the word of the living God. How you think about the origin of the universe and the origin of life will have a massive impact on your worldview, on your personal life, and your destiny. I believe, from the top of my head to the tips of my toes, that God created everything in six 24-hour days. I believe that. As a result, I want to show you some responses that we should have, that you should have this morning. Number one, we should praise God. We should be filled with praise and thanksgiving to our Creator, God. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, yes, that last book of the Bible over there. Revelation 4, 11, we get a picture of worship in heaven. And here's what the Bible says, that the elders, the living, the, the living creatures, the elders fall down, they begin to worship God, and they say, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. I tell you, all of heaven, all of heaven today worships the living God because he is the creator God and he created all things. Will we not join them here on earth? Will we not join them in the church of the living Lord? Will we not join them in praising our God for creation? We should do that every day. Here's a second response. We should enjoy what God's made. We should enjoy it. Frequently, we look at, at nature, we look at, at the beauty of a, a sunset or the beauty of a, a sunrise or, or the beauty of a massive number of brightly shining stars in the heavens, and we use it simply as a proof for God exists. We use it apologetically, but it doesn't get down in our heart. Listen, the Christian should really enjoy what he sees. The Christian should really enjoy what he hears. The Christian should really enjoy what he smells. The Christian should really enjoy what he tastes. The Christian should really enjoy what he feels. We should enjoy God's creation. And number three response, we should take care of God's creation. 
We don't leave that up to liberals. We do that because we're God's children. And we appreciate what God's created. We should be the first to use God's creation in a responsible way. We should be the first to seek to keep our earth clean. However, we must not ever worship creation or any part of it. And we must not ever use creation as a political pawn to further our causes. We should take care of God's creation. I remember when my kids were little, every once in a while they'd get a, a wild hair and they'd throw a, 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 a wrapper out the window. I'd stop the car. I'd stop the car. I'd make them go back and pick it up. We don't do that. that that's some simple things that we can do to take, take care of God's creation. And then number four, we should trust our creator. We should trust him. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. He said in verse 25, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink or for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Who created the birds of the air, by the way? God did. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus said. They do not sow nor reap or, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Wow. Verse 27, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field, who created the lilies of the field? Oh, can you imagine how God created something so beautiful as a lily? And Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, look at this, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Let me tell you something. How you think about creation, how you think about the beginning. Is going to impact your life at a lot of different levels. If you really believe what I preach today, if you really believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, if you really believe that, then when life is hard, and it gets hard sometimes, doesn't it? You know you can trust him. You know if he takes care of the lilies, he's going to take care of you. If he takes care of the birds of the air, he's going to take care of you. And you can trust him when life is hard. For some of you today, your life is really hard. It, it could be a, a marriage situation. It could be a, a, a sickness. It could be a, a child that is way out there in rebellion against you. And it's hard. It could be problems on the job. It could be problems in your finances. But life is hard. And I'm asking you today to do something. 
I'm asking you today to, by faith, trust your creator God to take care of you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond, and I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and bow your knee before the Lord, the creator God. And I want you at this altar to say, God, I trust you. You name what it is that's, that's beating you up, that's making life so hard, and you just tell God, I trust you for my marriage. I trust you for my finances. You are my creator, God. I trust you. You come. I'm going to ask our staff and our worship team to come. But I want to say a second thing here. You can trust God to save your soul. Did you know that? This Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and going all the way over to Revelation chapter 22, talks about the problem of sin in our lives. Adam and Eve messed their lives up. They rebelled against God, and it's called sin. And the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to know that the creator God loves you. And he's made a way for you to have forgiveness from all your sin. He's made a way for you to be reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus, his son. I want to invite you today to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. By the way, you can trust God to keep his promises. John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise from God. And he always keeps his promises. Oh God, to you be the glory and the honor forever and ever. Lord, I pray that we would respond in obedience to your word today. Save souls, change lives. Lord, pull out of all of us the praise and thanksgiving that you deserve as our creator God. In Christ's name.